Let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. For those that may be listening to this later, I would suggest that you read the first three verses of Psalm 46, which we use to introduce this service. And then I would suggest that you read Psalm 91 or find an exposition of it on our website since we just prayed, thanking the Lord for all the terms and blessings of that psalm and asking for the extension of them into our future. We truly are the recipients of Psalm 91 and we would like to see it cover our lives for the future. This is a little different than me preaching another chapter of Isaiah to you. I just want to spend a few minutes and uh, talk a little bit about fear, a little bit about faith, some about facts and some about fables in light of this 2019 novel coronavirus that the world wants to talk about everywhere you turn. Everywhere you turn, everywhere you look, they want to dominate it because that's how they live, that's how they sell stuff. They live on sensationalism, they live on exaggeration, and we just want to keep, make sure that we stand on God's Word and keep our sanity in the midst of insanity. That doesn't mean that coronavirus could get, couldn't get worse. It could get worse. It should get worse. It should devastate this planet because this planet deserves God's judgment. But that's not the point. We want to be like Psalm 46 described. We want to believe what Psalm 91 described, and that is to have faith more than fear, and we want to trust facts more than fables. In Matthew chapter 8, Jesus is making his way to the Gadarene. And the Lord sends a great storm. And the apostles come and tell him that if he doesn't get active, they're all going to perish. The coronavirus is aboard. The ship crossing the Sea of Galilee. And unless the Lord does something, they're all going to perish. And what I want, because there's a lot, I have many pages, which we will only tithe, But what I want is this statement of him to them. Why are ye fearful? O ye of little faith. They woke him up. He was sleeping through the storm and they woke him up. And so his complaint was, why are ye fearful? O ye of little faith. And I want us to embrace that. I want you to embrace Psalm 46. I want you to embrace Psalm 91. I want you to embrace Matthew 8, 26. After he healed the Gadarene and returned across the Sea of Galilee, he met a man named Jairus. And Jairus had a daughter that was very sick. Some other miracles take place. And the servants arrive from Jairus' home to tell Jairus in front of Jesus, she's dead. Don't bother the master any longer. So I have another little soundbite for you. Yes, I'm in the soundbite business today. Psalm 46, 1 through 3, I love those bites. I'll chew on that for a while. Psalm 91, here's what Jesus said. Jesus observed that transaction. Don't bother the master any longer. She's dead. Be not afraid. Only believe. Amen. That's what we want to embrace. Be not afraid, only believe. And he went with Jairus to his home, and he told the mourners that she just sleeps. And he, they laughed him to scorn, just like they'll laugh us to scorn when we're confident in God. And that doesn't mean foolishly, impetuous, presumptuous, or ignoring ordinary, reasonable methods of protecting ourselves. But I want you to remember these things. So now I've given you four passages of Scripture before I get started. Psalm 46, Psalm 91, Matthew 8, 26, and Mark 5, 36. Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Be not afraid, only believe. And what great things the Lord Jesus Christ did. The founder of our religion and head of our church found fear and faith incompatible. And he told us, he exhorted us to the one and to get rid of the other. To be as faithful as we can and to get rid of as much faith as possible. We are not foolishly presumptuous about danger. We just emphasize faith over fear and facts over fables. 
We may be mocked like mourners, mocked Jesus for Jairus' daughter, because we do not follow the world's sheep. This short sermon is only going to cover a few high points. God, by His providence, led us to Isaiah 50 this morning, where two sources of light truth are contrasted. We want the light and truth of verse 10, and we want to avoid the sparks of verse 11. The Lord says to them, walk in the light of your fire. Walk in the light of your fables. Walk in the light of your fear. My people are going to trust me and obey my servant, and they're going to be safe, and you are going to lie down in sorrow. And I hope you'll remember that difference from Isaiah 50, because we'll have to move on to other chapters in Isaiah. God, by His providence, recently led us to consider the fabulous conditional promises of Psalm 91. Thank you, young man, and thank you for praying it today. I enjoyed every syllable. I love inspired content. You just saw an example of how to meditate, remember, consider, muse, and pray all at the same time by taking God's Word and applying it to your own life. March Madness may be played in empty arenas. Are you troubled? Okay. The Tokyo Olympics may be postponed or canceled. Are you troubled? I'm no expert on viruses. Do not intend to be. Do not want to be. Do not need to be because it's not worth it. I have a God who's an expert on the coronavirus, the novel coronavirus. There's been lots of coronaviruses for a long time. This is truly called the novel coronavirus because it's a little different. But the great physician knows all about it. And we trust him. And influenza is just another word for the flu, an infectious respiratory disease. Pandemic is a disease that is prevalent throughout an entire country, continent, or the world. An epidemic is just a widespread occurrence of an infectious disease in a community at a particular time. Pestilence is any fatal epidemic disease affecting man or beast and destroying many victims. Pestilence is in the Bible 48 times. Noisome means a harmful, injurious, or noxious pestilence or disease. This is not fulfilled prophecy. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 7 warns that there would be earthquakes in many places and pestilences. And oh, there are people rushing to Matthew 24 and verse 7 about this little tiny, 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 almost immeasurable blip on the health scale of the world and saying it's fulfilled prophecy. Matthew 24 and verse 7 and the earthquakes and, and pestilences there was fulfilled 2,000 years ago. And they are documented in history, and some of them are documented in the Bible. This is not fulfilled prophecy. Let's talk about fear. What is fear? Emotional pain or uneasiness caused by the sense of impending danger. Emotional pain or uneasiness caused by the sense of impending danger. The apostles were fearful because they were on a boat that was rocking and a shaking, and the waves were coming over the side, and they thought they were going to perish. They didn't think they were just going to get wet. They thought they were going to die on this boat where Jesus was sleeping down in its hold. The world around us, let's think about fear, constantly is looking for something to fear, and they have found a virus. The world loves fear because fear sells, and the devil is afraid, and the devil uses fear. Fear is part of the unbeliever's life. Fear is part of a reprobate's life. Fear. They're afraid of everything. And they, look, they go from one fear to the next. If it wasn't for this virus, the fear would be Donald Trump, our president. If it wasn't Donald Trump, it'd be for a few locusts in Africa or Asia. If it wasn't the locusts, it'd be some other political game being played among the Democrats. They're always looking for something to be afraid of. And if... I'm 62, and I have been confronted with fearful things since I was a very young, single-digit child, and I've seen them all come and go, and the world wants us to be afraid. If the, if the virus disappeared, we would be global warming. You know, the world has a slogan, no fear, but they're all afraid. 
They're terrified about global warming. And we know global warming's a lie. And so we trust our faith is in God's word against their fear. Every little thing they can claim or create for fear distracts them from the real danger. Because there is real danger for this world, this planet, the ecosystem, children, infants, childbirth, health. There is a terrible danger and they're totally ignorant of it. And they do everything in their power by devilish influence to distract the world from it. Because there is judgment coming on this planet. Amen. They love their little campaigns and crusades to deal with their make-believe fears. The standard trio is politics, health, and weather, which they manipulate based on data. You know, it's like, tele it's like televised sports. When you're watching a sports event on television, they only let you get a few minutes into it before they're telling you about the next one because they've got to keep you on the treadmill of life looking to the next one, to the next one, to the next one, because there isn't happiness anywhere, and it only takes the first quarter of any football game, or most any football game, for spectators to be entirely bored to tears, especially since advertising is more, has more minutes involved than the game does. Right. But they, they will string you out and string you out. And if it wasn't for this coronavirus, they would have something else. Right. Let's see. In 2000, Y2K is going to destroy everything. Your car is going to blow up in the garage. Everything. Your refrigerator works by a digital system that's going to blow up when we turn over Y2K. Do you remember? Oh, yeah. Christian authors wrote books and they spent a year running around the country putting everyone into a tizzy. It was such a pleasure that night to sit up all night and watch Y2K roll over from time zone to time zone to time zone, and nothing at all happened. That's right. But oh, they sure got everyone's attention about how they needed to trust the government and this and that in order to survive Y2K. 2001, anthrax is going to kill us all. 2002, the West Nile virus is going to kill us all. 2003, SARS is going to kill us all. 2005, the bird flu. E. coli in 2006. In 2008, it's not going to be health. Financial collapse is going to kill us all. We'll be in the streets fighting for our next crumb of bread. Do you have enough ammo? Buy another gun. 2009, swine flu is going to kill us all. 2012, the Mayan calendar predicts the world ending. 2013, North Korea is going to cause World War III. With what? Some Chinese fireworks? 2014, Ebola virus is going to kill us all. 2015, ISIS is responsible to kill us all. The Zika virus in 2016, and now we get the coronavirus in 2019. This is from a Facebook post yesterday that was sent to me. And I commend uh, the person that posted it because I, I enjoyed reading through the list again. And it saved me one paragraph of my outline. The truth is, this is how it ends. It has that list. The truth is, fear is killing you. Turn off the TV, pray, trust God, and wash your hands. Perfect. Perfect. For those of you going to the gym, wash your hands. We're not, we don't want to be foolish. We don't want to be presumptuous. We just want to, we want to bask in the, in the faith that we have in a great God that controls all these things. Right. Here's, what, here's the problem. The information age allows even events, large or small, to be shared globally like never before. And I've mentioned this to you. You've got to keep that in mind. The information age, radio, television, internet, social media, Twitter, spread any news far and wide which was never spread 150 or 200 years ago. You didn't even know what happened in the state next to you until it was all over and long gone. Right. It's a, the flu, a flu in China for 97% of world history would never have been known in Europe, period, not even a tidbit of it. For 97% of world history. Political, health, and weather disasters were only known well after they occurred. Individual cases like those that now go viral were not known even by those close by. 
But now even one person, you know, one person who's on a cruise ship and they contract the fi- this, this virus, it can go viral where the whole world knows about one person by name. Why? That one person isn't any more important than the other 7.8 billion persons that are on this planet. Internationalism has led to combining numbers to increase stats to promote their fear. Look at Luke chapter 12. Jesus did tell us to be afraid. Luke 12. And I want this to be a Bible sermon. And I have started off with four Bible passages. And they're important ones. And here's the fifth. And I've got dozens and dozens in my outline, which we will not get to. But it should always be a Bible sermon that comes out of this pulpit. And we trust the great physician, the Lord Jesus Christ, to take care of our lives and health in this world and our lives and health in the world to come. Luke 12, verse 4, And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body. And after that have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you, whom ye shall fear. Fear him, which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Why don't they use their media to promote those two verses? Those two verses ought to be in the end zones of every football stadium. Those two verses. Because that's what Jesus said needs to be an axiom for how we view life. The world has much more to fear than what they suspect. They are deceived to distraction by the devil himself. They are worrying about whether coffee causes gallstones or kidney stones rather than the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to burn up this planet. One of the things about fear is that enough fear will be self-fulfilling in consequences. President FDR said in 33, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. And you know, I just want to take that and plagiarize it for the sake of the gospel. We don't want to let anything distract us, divert us, discourage us, depress us, frighten us from being everything that we should be as Christians. And if you let fear get a hold of you, you're thinking about it day and night. You're worried that I wash my hands, that I wash my hands again. Well, let me get you some of that hand sanitizer over there, and you can make triple sure that your hands are clean. Fear. Why is there less bread and milk in our grocery stores right now? Because the fear is becoming self-fulfilling. They're all going out to, to cover themselves. You know, it takes, it takes a, a little bit of a news item that there might be flurries in South Carolina, and you can have a night without bread, milk, or toilet paper because there might be flurries. That's South Carolina and their ignorance of weather and fear of snow. Um, And so fear feeds on itself and it's going to impact the world around us and you hear it everywhere. What did our Lord Jesus and his apostles do about current events that were taking precious lives? Do you remember? I have taught you. This is not new. Two things. Look at Luke 13 since you're very close to it. Luke chapter 13. What did our Lord Jesus and His apostles do about current events that took precious lives? Verse 1 of Luke 13. There were present at that season some that told Him of the Galileans who had contracted 2019 novel coronavirus. No. Oh, it says, Whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Or those 18, upon whom the tower in Siloam fell and slew them, think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Can you imagine a Roman governor killing worshipers that were offering sacrifices so their blood was mingled with the the blood of their sacrifices, would that have gone viral? If a tower fell and killed 18, would it have gone viral? Of course and of course and of course. People love that kind of stuff. 
The newspapers would have been filled with it. Drudge would have had it in red bold print at the top of his page, Tower Falls and Kills 18. Probably caused by President Trump. He doesn't say that, but he's leaning toward it. What what does Jesus Christ have to say about things like that? What does Jesus Christ have to say? Were they worse sinners? No. Repent, because it can happen to you. And it did happen to them. Look at Acts chapter 11. So one thing that the Lord tells us is for us to have repentance. And so it should cause us to repent so that we react spiritually to it. And in Acts chapter 11, here's another disaster. Acts chapter 11, verse 27, And in these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch. This is Antioch of Syria, 300 miles north of Jerusalem. And there stood up one of them named Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that there should be great dearth throughout all the world. Far worse than what we're facing right now, with that coronavirus, a dearth throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, moved to the mountains and lived in caves and washed their hands every hour. No, every man according to his ability determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So when a natural disaster comes up, and we've been over this before, and i got to get off the subject, it, it can lead to proper giving. So that we're looking for other brethren in the world that we can help because of a natural disaster. Do you know how many orphanages and jails that they passed over to get from Antioch of Syria to Jerusalem? And they ignored them to take it all the way down because we are a brotherhood in the world. And if you want an extensive, full-blown treatment of the hierarchy of charity, Type in the word Haiti on our website and you'll find it. Fear. It's disgusting. There were more events of war, famine, pestilence, and nature, meaning weather, in Israel than we've had in the last 50 years. There was a Roman conquering force in Israel. Pilate did what he did. That was part of Rome asserting their authority over a foreign people when they were outnumbered by those Jews. That takes violence to keep that government in force. There were lots of events, and the apostles ignore them unless, Jesus and the apostles ignored them, unless it could be brought to bear as repentance on those in the nation or giving to take care of those that had suffered at its hands. So the brethren were going to get the flu. The brethren were going to suffer from the dearth And they were to send aid to them to help them out in the dearth because a dearth is helped by cash because you don't have enough food. Is fear a tool of the devil? Yes. He destroys men's lives and fear is one of the best tools. When the Bible identifies the traits of those in the lake of fire, what are the first two traits? Fearful and unbelieving. Now that fearful and unbelieving is not about the coronavirus. That fearful and unbelieving is fearful of men and being unwilling to confess Jesus Christ. And that unbelieving is not trusting in Him for your life in this world and the next. But I want you to notice that it's not witchcraft, adultery, drunkenness, or other sins that are in Revelation 28, 21, 8 and listed first. It's fear and unbelief. So let's just keep all these verses churning in our minds. We're going to be afraid. David said the Lord had delivered him from all my fears, plural. David said, what time I am afraid, I will trust in him. Psalm 56 and verse 3, fear isn't the sin, it's what you do with the fear. Don't let it distract you, beat you down, or listen to them. Listen to the word of God. We can take ordinary precautions, but that's all. The Lord wants us to take ordinary precautions because anything else is vanity, and he wants us to go to bed and sleep on it. That is Psalm 127, verses 1 and 2. Look at Psalm 53 in verse 5. It's one of the verses on total depravity. I'm answering the question right now, is fear a tool of the devil? Yes, it's a tool of the devil. It's how he takes you off of faith in God if he can make you afraid. He can debilitate you. He can, he can master you. You live with it day and night in bed you're thinking about it when you're afraid of something. 
It's terrible. Fear's terrible. It's destructive and it's contagious. I'll get to that in a minute. Oh, it was my affection for the clock on the back wall. Psalm 53. This is the same. This is a fraternal twin to Psalm 14. They're both about the fool and total depravity. But I want you to notice 53 in verse 5. There were they in great fear where no fear was. There was no cause for fear, but they're fearful. The righteous are as bold as a lion, but the wicked flee when no man pursueth. The difference between faith and courage and fear. The description of a reprobate people, there were they in great fear where no fear was. And the same thing is worded just a little bit differently in Psalm 14. Fear. It compromises faith and your witness. It directs to man for help. Fear makes you look to man for help if you don't look to God. It distracts your life. It hinders your productivity. It can chase you day and night. It reduces your boldness for greatness. To be afraid. Most agendas work better with fear than faith. Think. The world feeds its news on fear. Constant fear about everything. And as soon as one disappears, they'll bring up another one. Politically astute men know that fear is a great tool to increase governmental control. What just happened? The Fed lowered rates due to fear. Though our interest rates are almost negative. The United States of America is facing an interest rate session, uh, situation that they haven't seen before. The entire spectrum from 30-day financing to 30-year financing by the U.S. government is approaching zero. The U.S. government can borrow money right now in a 10-year note at 60 basis points. 0.6 of 1%. And yet the government steps in to show them the government is the one that takes care of us. He's going to keep you gainfully employed and making money even while people are dropping like flies from the coronavirus. And so the government, by the way, a sideline here, if you want to refinance your house, get your eyes on the mortgage market right now. Because, uh, yeah, the mortgage rates just set a new low in the last day or two. But the government wants to get involved. What might happen? Congress may lower taxes. You know they're talking about lower, lowering taxes to keep the economy going as quarantines may be enforced and people stay home and so the economy is going to contract a little bit so they're going to cut taxes to help that out. That's the last thing our country needs is to cut taxes. We need taxes increased. And if you don't believe that, you don't understand what's happening to our country. Right. But it's the government getting involved because of fear, fear, fear causes people problems and changes how governments operate. David Stockman, you know, he's back in the press now. You never hear from David Stockman until there's a slight... David Stockman was President Ronald Reagan's financial guru. And he, he's a, he was a sharp guy and he was very, very young when he was the budget director for President Ronald Reagan. Let's see, how long ago was that? Was that 100 years ago? <laughs> it was a long time ago. Well, every now and then he pops up in the news, but he can only pop up in the news when there's a 10% decline in the stock market or more. Because no one wants to listen to him because he's been talking about a total collapse of the American economy for 50 years. And so as soon as he gets a 10% drop, you know, people, David, what do you have to say about this is it? But I thought you said that last, I did. I thought you said it too, I did. Fear, 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 fear. I respect David Stockman. He's an intelligent man, but he has set his market niche to be the conservative, gullible types in America that every year is going to be the ruin of America financially. And here it is. See, I heard this stuff when I was single digit and as a teenager. And here I'm 62 years old, and we've just had the best few decades from a trajectory standpoint of prosperity of a nation the nation has ever seen. Fear. We're talking about fear. Fear is contagious. Can I prove it? Look at Deuteronomy chapter 20 and verse 8. This is the wisdom of Moses and the wisdom of God. Deuteronomy chapter 20 and verse 8. When thou goest out to battle against thine enemies, and seest horses and chariots, I'm reading the first verse, and a people more than thou, be not afraid of them. When you go to battle, and the, the, the war is against you, don't be afraid of them. Verse 8. The officers shall speak further unto the people, and they shall say, What man is there that is fearful and faint-hearted. Troops, are there any of you a little nervous about going to fight a force 
that's twice as strong as we are with better equipment. Are any of you afraid? Let him go and return into his house, lest his brethren's heart faint as well as his heart. Fear is contagious. We want to be full of faith in this church. We want to be full of faith in this church facing the coronavirus. We want to be full of faith in this church facing death. We want to be at each other's bedsides if we're allowed to be there. And we want to encourage each other in the Lord. Fear is contagious, but so is faith. And we want to build each other's faith up. You say, is faith contagious? Look at Acts chapter 28 and verse 15. Can I make this a one-month series? Can is not the right word because you know that. But may I? Because we're in serious trouble. I'm just tithing fear. Acts 28 and verse 15. The Apostle Paul has spent a terrible winter on that ship and on an island trying to make it from Caesarea of Palestine over to Rome. And he finally gets to Rome and he disembarks down there at the bottom of that boot of Italy. And he's making his way up toward Rome. And it tells us that the brethren, verse 15, And from thence, when the brethren heard of us, they came to meet us as far as Appia Forum and the three taverns, brethren from Rome, whom when Paul saw, he thanked God and took courage. That's what, that's what a church is for. That's what a family's for. That's what a husband and a wife are for. Take courage. David had to encourage himself in the Lord because his wives, his wives, he had more encouragement. Well, his wives had been taken captive and his friends wanted to stone him. You know that from 1 Samuel chapter 30. Fear is a terrible thing. Oh Lord, save us from fear and give us faith. Look at the martyrs we listened to all of 2019. Did those martyrs sound fearful to you? Weren't they the most courageous people you've ever heard of? And they knew they were going to be tortured slowly. Their fingernails were going to be turned back with players. They were going to be burned slowly over slow fires. They were going to be stretched on racks until they were dislocated in every joint. And they did it cheerfully. Where'd they get that from? They got that from the Holy Spirit of the living God. They got that from the Spirit of Christ. Jesus was able to set his face to go to the cross of Calvary, and they were able to set their faces to go to the stake. We just had a whole year of them. Lord, let them encourage us. A Christian should have such faith that they are not afraid of most threatened dangers. But I've already said David was afraid at times. But David wasn't afraid at times. Joab was afraid at times, and Joab wasn't afraid at times. And I hope that you can remember the balance without me giving you a whole side-by-side comparison of the two. What is faith? Confidence and trust in God to do you good against any danger or enemy. Confidence and trust in God to do you good against any danger or enemy. uh, Psalm 27, the last couple of verses will help us on that definition. Psalm 27 and verse... 14, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say on the Lord. That's what you're supposed to do. But verse 13 tells us about faith. I had fainted unless I had believed. There's the word faith. Unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Faith is trust and confidence in God that he is going to do good to you, and you can rely on it. David is a great example of faith. And uh, there are many, many passages. Look at Psalm, since we're at Psalm 27, look at the first verse. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even my enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. So faith is trust and confidence in God that God's going to do you good. Was David ever afraid? Yes, David was afraid at times, but he would encourage himself in the Lord and he would go into battle. Sometimes he wasn't afraid at all. Like when he heard Goliath blaspheming the Lord, we don't read one thing about him being afraid that time. He didn't want any armor on. I don't need that stuff. And he ran to meet Goliath. And he had four extra stones for Goliath's family tree because he was going to take out the whole Goliath clan. And we want to be like David. And every one of you named David better be like David. Oh, there's a lot of you in here. Two of you sit next to each other over here. Lord, help us to be like David. Look at Psalm 56 where David tells us what to do. And I've already quoted this verse once. This better be a Bible sermon. 
Psalm 56 and verse 3, What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. Psalm 56 and verse 3, Whenever you're afraid and you think, I don't have any faith. Well, I hope that your fear isn't so great that you would say, I don't have any faith. I hope that your fear is small and you're able to get rid of it rather quickly by taking on some faith and by encouraging yourself in the Lord. But here's David, Psalm 56, verse 3, What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. In God I will praise his word. In God I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. And so there's David and how he dealt by faith against fear. And we saw in Psalm 91 that David had such great confidence that a thousand could fall on one side, ten thousand on the other side, and it wouldn't come nigh him. Now just think about this. Did David catch a disease and die from it? Did David catch a fatal disease? He did. It's called old age. It was fatal. He did. The poor, the poor man was so weak at the end, it's hard to read about it. You know, you have hot water bottles and hot blankets, I mean, electric blankets and this and that, and he had Abishag to keep warm because his body couldn't keep heat. He was a mess at the end. He died. Well, did the Lord, did the Lord keep Psalm 91 toward him? Yes, because there's more in the Bible than Psalm 91. You say, is there more in the Bible? It's Psalm, Psalm 91 is comforting, and you're just kind of like taking my legs away right now. Yeah, okay, I'm going to give you your legs back. Go to Isaiah 57. You're going to have to wait a few weeks for us to get to Isaiah 57. But here's what Isaiah 57 has to say. What about a Josiah pastor? He died young. What about Hezekiah? He died young. Hezekiah died at 54, one of God's best. Josiah was one of God's best kings. He died young. Okay. David died of a fatal disease called old age. Psalm 91 was fulfilled to him in his life and to his son, Jesus Christ. But he still had to die based on other passages of Scripture. But do you know what it says about him? He died in a good old age, full of days. He had done all he wanted to do. And that's how we want to die. He died at 70. I want every one of you to remember that. Do not let this world tell you that you ought to live to 90. Right. The Bible says dying at 70 is dying at a good old age full of days. If you live your life ambitiously and energetically and zealously, you can get a lot accomplished by the time you're 70. Who wants to sit around with a hose at their nose for the next 20 years? I've never seen a hose in your house. But who wants to sit around for the next 20 years with a hose in a wheelchair, in a walker? We, don't, we want to avoid that if at all possible. But don't let the world tell you how long you should live. You know, Christians want to tell you that you should live to be 120. If you won't get vaccinations or drink fluorided water. That, don't, don't pick on me. I'm not picking on anyone. I'm talking about a group of Christians out there that say that we should be able to live to 120 because they don't know how to read Genesis chapter 6 where it says that the days of man were 120 years. All that was is how long it took Noah to build the ark until God drowned them. Right. Because the Bible says we're going to live to be 70. Doesn't it say that and if by reason of strength maybe 80? So let's just round it off at 75 and it hasn't changed in 3,000 years. Life expectancy hasn't changed. That's another lie they want to throw at us. Even Christians want to throw at us and tell us if we'll get rid of meat and just throw vegetables in a juicer, we can live to 120. Or maybe 960 if we're the Reverend, the Reverend, what's his first name? George Melkmus and his heresies. He takes the average age of the patriarchs from Adam to Methuselah, divides, divides them out and finds their average and says that's how long we can live if we'll get rid of meat and you, and you buy my supplements. <laughs> oh, there's the catch. Buy my supplements. 950. Right. There's one component they forgot, and it's a component I always want you to remember. It's three letters long. Sin. Sin. Whenever you think about any doctor, any therapy, any diet, any exercise program, anything. Remember one word with three letters, sin. Everyone is going to die, and they're going to die around 70 or 80 years of age, and it cannot and it will not be altered because of sin. It's not diet. It's not health care. It's not alternative health. It's not traditional health. It's sin. Right. 
I'm going to live forever. Anyone else in here going to live forever? I'm going to live forever with a new body, and it's going to be perfect. I love that song we just sang that called my body a cottage of clay. I elbowed the wife. You know, she still thinks that it's something. Well, anyway, it's a cottage of clay. I love that expression. It's a cottage. It's just a little temporary dwelling place, and it's a cottage of clay. Oh, Lord. Look at, okay, Isaiah 57. Is that where we were headed? The righteous perisheth. Look at the first three words. The righteous perisheth. Hezekiah at 54. And no man layeth it to heart. And merciful men are taken away, none considering that the righteous is taken away from the evil to come. He shall enter into peace. They shall rest in their beds, each one walking in his uprightness. That is going to heaven and having the good life. And no one looks at it and says, Wow, that's terrible. Brother Hezekiah died so young. Everyone got up at his funeral. It's so sad to see him leave so quickly. We didn't have enough time with him. They don't lay it to heart. Do you know what? He jerked Hezekiah out of that mess that was Jerusalem and put him in his bed and gave him peace, and he was clothed in uprightness in heaven. Which do you want? No man lays it to heart and understands the proper view of life and death. Can a Christian be afraid? Yes, I've just explained. Go, turn to 2 Corinthians 4. 2 Corinthians 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 8. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. He didn't fall apart. He wasn't pressed out of measure. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed. But not in despair. We haven't lost hope, but we are perplexed sometimes. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. And of course, there's a context around it, but those two verses right there should be your comfort. When trouble comes, just don't be distressed. When you're perplexed and you're not sure what to do, don't be in despair. Don't lose hope. The Lord's still in charge. When you're persecuted, you haven't been forsaken. When, when you get cast down a little bit, don't be destroyed by it. Keep doing your daily duties. Don't quit. Don't go AWOL. Don't forfeit. Don't go to bed. Don't get in a funk. Don't stop doing your duties. Facts. What are facts? Truth about origins, life, death, and the eternal state that can only be learned from the Bible. Adam sinned in Eden and brought all health issues and every cause of death upon man. Don't ever listen to anything about health. Don't ever listen to anything about a doctor unless you're going to have that sin word in there and the four-letter word Adam in there. We know the second Adam, and he has saved us from everything the first Adam caused us. Ideas about health, sickness, death, or cures without the sin factor are all laughable. All persons get sick. All persons die. No man, program, or government can stop it. The life expectancy of man is still the same that it's been for 3,500 years. All epidemics, pandemics, and pestilences are ruled by Almighty God our Father. He set a pestilence and death into Egypt until He destroyed them. He made a perfect difference between the Egyptians and the Israelites. The Israelites were in Goshen, which is a subset of the nation of Egypt, and the line between them is drastic in the Bible, and the Lord wants us to know that. While there was darkness in Egypt that could be felt for three days, there was light in Goshen. There wasn't a dog that barked in Goshen the night that the death angel went through Egypt and killed the firstborn in every family and every barn and every doghouse. The Lord makes a difference. And so this, we're talking about faith and facts. This is a fact of the Bible to build our faith. He made a difference between the Egyptians and the Israelites. He promised he would save Israel from Egypt's diseases. While they were down there, they found out for the 250 years that the Jews lived in Egypt. Remember, the Jews had different ideas about hygiene and quarantine. They lived for 215 years among the Egyptians and saw a bunch of diseases that they'd never had. And the Lord said, I'll give you those diseases if you disobey me. The important thing is that we obey God. He promised Israel he would give them those diseases in several different places. Phinehas did not get the coronavirus in Numbers 25, for he was righteous against sin. But thousands did get it. Right. Why did 70,000 die from the coronavirus in 2 Samuel 24? Because of sin against God. And it tells us so. Let's obey him. God killed David's first child by Bathsheba, and he reacted right about it. 
He begged God for mercy until the child was dead, and then he worshipped. All these things are how we're supposed to react. Herod Agrippa I was justly eaten by worms for murder and pride. Many Corinthians were sickly and weak because of their carnality. Paul had a thorn in his flesh for good reasons, though he disliked that thorn. Let's remember that, if any of us get the flu. You know, the, the death rate from this coronavirus is... If you, go, if, you, if, you, if you read and you don't read carefully, you're going to read that it's about 3%. But it's less than that because they haven't measured the people that haven't shown up at hospitals yet. So the, the, the class that they're looking at are the ones that were bad enough off to want to go to hospitals. And if, you're, if you've ever thought about statistics, you just want to be careful reading the stuff that they're throwing at us. Right. You know, Christians see the bright side of such events, for the fear contagion will affect markets. You know, I got to see a picture this past week of Mecca and the, and the Kaaba stone empty except for a couple of guys walking around with big wands disinfecting the whole thing. They're not all getting in there and sniffing each other like dogs as they bow over on their little carpets and, and, and all kiss the same little meteorite. I hope you don't need interpretation. It's unbelievable what they do. do you know, it's rampant in Iran. Those poor Italians, I mentioned that on Wednesday, all that kissing they do. Interest rates have plummeted for you to refinance due to the economic turmoil. You can expect gas around buck eighty-five on Tuesday. Maybe. The Lord can do anything He wants. Right. But uh, <coughs> oil fell 10% in one day on Friday. Oil worldwide, West Texas crude, fell 10% in one day. Why? Because they're all afraid the world's not going to go to work. They're all going to stay at home and quarantine. And so all the economies are going to contract. And so all the oil producers and all the investors in oil and the hedge fund managers are speculating. And oil is plunging. And you're going to see it at the pump. For those of you that get out and don't stay at home. I wish I had a place to go. I did call one brother in here who has 3,000 gallons, 2,000 gallons storage. What are fables? Facts or stories exaggerated, leveraged, or slanted to push an agenda. Prudent Christians assess all statistics. Where does it say that in the Bible? It says it all over the place. It says, prove all things and hold fast that which is good. In the New Testament, in Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 15, it says, the simple believeth every word, but a prudent man looketh well to his going. Proverbs 14, 15. The simple believeth every word, but the prudent man looketh well to his going. What are fables? Facts or stories exaggerated, leveraged, or slanted to push an agenda. So let's think. Figures don't lie, but liars figure. Amen. The world monopolizes the news from any source to pursue their depressing agenda. That's why you can't even find anything else hardly right now except the coronavirus and the Democrats. They must promote sensationalism to sell advertising, to sell protection, to sell government involvement. Sensationalism sells. Americans are eagerly ready for the next big scare. Americans love it. Americans are vulnerable to it. They're bored. They want to be told something else to fear. And so I gave you that long list as just an illustration of it. If we limited ourselves to the current century, which is only 19, 20 years, we can think about the Y2K hoax. A current hoax is global warming with its infant confused leader, Greta Thunberg. Can you believe that? Unbelievable. If I couldn't see it with a picture and push that little arrow play and hear it and see that the venue is actually the United Nations, who would believe it? Who would ever give her one second of time on any subject, especially leaders of nations? Fear. Fear. And they promote all these ridiculous aspects of it. In 1973, I was 16 years old and had a Pontiac GTO with a 455 cubic inch engine. I think that's an 8.7 liter engine in a Lake Sunoco 260. And so I know about the Arab oil embargo of 1973 and America threw up its hands. It's over. The government's going to stop allowing interstate travel. We're going to have to get permits to leave our houses. 
the world's over because oil had gone up from $3 a barrel to $12 a barrel. Now a 400% increase is a lot, but you know what? We had underpaid the Arabs for every barrel we'd ever taken out of their sand. They knew the rate at which we were inflating our economy. They knew that the dollars every year were less. They wanted something better. So they, they held back production from us and wanted an increase in price. Do you know what that did to the price of gas? Here's the bad news that crushed me at the pump when I was a 17-year-old. Here it is. Gas went up from 38 cents a gallon to 55. It was horrible. I want to make fun of it. I had to go to meetings back then produced by the John Birch Society and listen to men like Alan Stang practically get us riot ready just because of an oil embargo that was getting oil in the direction of being market priced. We still pay so much less for oil and gas in America than anywhere else. And you know now America is the number one producer in the whole world. Lord help us, save us from all this. Modern communication helps spread so much. Fables and facts. Fables and facts. They're wanting to scare you all the time with a hurricane, with a tornado, with a virus. They want to scare you. How many Americans die daily by accident? How many Americans die daily? Americans only, accidental deaths only, not suicide, not murder, 465. How many have died of the coronavirus in a month? 19. How many die from accidents every day? 465, 170,000 a year. Facts and fables, suicide, 129 people kill themselves every day and 55 people kill someone else every day. 55. How many Americans die daily? How many Americans die daily by tornado? Zero. Hurricane? Zero. Lightning? Zero. How many by accident? 465 every day. Learn to think and don't let them tell you but because they are able to take six people died from a hurricane and they just blow it up and blow it up and blow it up over a three-day hurricane assault six died well over three days how many died from other accidents and other causes not including murder or suicide the numbers are just huge and you learn to think through that stuff do you know about the ordinary flu that Americans get the flu season every year? Do you know about the flu season every year? April. Yes, you know about the flu season every year. Yes, you know about the flu. Many of you know about the flu season. The annual flu. How many get sick? 45 million. We have a country of 330 million. 45 million get the flu. How many go to the hospital? Because the flu is bad enough to go to the hospital. 810,000. How many die from the flu, the ordinary flu that happens every year in America? 61,000. You say, no way. That's CDC, Center for Disease Control of America. And yet they want you to worry about 19. Could the 19 expand? Sure. What if it's 1,900? What if it's 19,000? It's still only a fraction of the ordinary flu that happens every single year. Right. Lord help us. How many people have been sick from the coronavirus for the entire earth that we know of? 100,000. How many deaths? 3,500. God controls the future. The number that die in the whole world of the ordinary flu is a monster number. Agent experience helps because I've been through this so many times with so many different things and so have many of you. I remember as a six-year-old reading in my weekly reader from the NEA that there was going to be a coming ice age. As a seven-year-old, I knew about Russia, spy satellites, electrical grid knockout, Cuba, communists in government, none dare call it treason, and voted for Barry Goldwater. 
you say you weren't old enough to vote in the seventh grade. Oh, I campaigned for Barry Goldwater in the seventh, when I was seven years old in the second grade. Keep It Simple Stupid was coined by Kelly Johnson of Lockheed Skunk Works about the design. He was the lead designer for the SR-71 Blackbird. Keep It Simple Stupid. Here's how simple it is. Like the first rule of Bible systems, including health. What's the first rule of Bible economics? What's the first rule of anything biblical? Obey God. Right. Obey God. Love, trust, obey God. Psalm 23 tells us that if we do that, He'll lead us beside the still waters. He'll lead us to green pastures. And yea, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil. Right. Obey God. Number two, long earthly life is not the great priority, but rather serving His kingdom without fear. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Right. And what does it say next? Take no thought for the morrow. That's what the Bible says. Take no thought for the morrow. Yes, we're going to wash our hands. Yes, we buy food and put it in the refrigerator, which has tomorrow in mind. But we do not get anxious or fearful about tomorrow. Next, only reasonable precautions are needed because God wants us to trust Him and sleep. Psalm 127, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. Except the Lord keep the coronavirus away from us, we'll get it. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Amen. The horse is prepared against the day of battle, so wash your hands and store some salmon. Do not believe all you hear or read, for most information today is exaggerated or slanted. The simple believeth every word, but a prudent man looks well to his going. We trust the Bible. So from evolution to global warming to life extension, three things I've mentioned today, we know they are lies. Last point, let's give thanks that we live in America. Amen. We live in America. Some of you were privy to a four-minute video of what was proposed to be the Wuhan market in Wuhan, China. And it wasn't. It was in Indonesia. Where is he? Okay. It was terrible. It was terrible. It was showing, it was a, it was a high-quality video it was done decently, and it was showing all the bats. It was a food market, all the bats for sale. And th there was a machete chopping up a python, and you know you want, you want your slice of snake to take home, and rats. And it was unbelievable. We live in America. When you go in that grocery store, don't you just want to, well, oh, sorry, touch every package. But <laughs> I, meant the I meant the cellophane. It's just so beautiful. Everything's clean. There's no flies. It's been inspected. It's been shrink-wrapped. We're so blessed. Amen. We're so blessed. Amen. There's so many hospital beds. And how many hospitals do you think our government's going to throw up that are going to collapse on the people in their beds? We live in a great nation. And the Lord has been great to America because in some respects, and for a remnant within America, it's been great to Him. Right. America has loved God by looking at its remnant people and even the rest with lip service. They've reverenced God and God's been kind to us. Let's be thankful for everything we have and not be afraid of this. We're so blessed. Everything. Our supply system for everything is so great. There's so many grocery stores you can go to. How many grocery stores are there within five miles of your house? A radio. You two don't count. He said, he said zero. <laughs> That's your, f <laughs> we could remedy that. We, we live in such a great place. The Lord's been so kind to us. Did you hear how we prayed Psalm 91 today? Every verse was first a thank you because he's already done that for us. Right. For those of you that are older, hasn't the Lord kept Psalm 91 for you? Amen. And he's, he's going to because it's his word. I love America. I don't like this stuff coming from other places. And I don't like them trying to scare us. And I've watched them scare us so many times. I'm a very, very, very jaundiced American citizen by the news. But I trust God's word. And I didn't. Today wasn't to make fun of the coronavirus. It may come, it may get me, and I may die from it. I may be one of the 3% statistics of those that contract it, go to the hospital, get pneumonia, 
and I die from it. I hope that if you come to visit me, you're going to bring this with you, and we'll just talk about where I'm going. And that while I was alive, I believed Isaiah 50 and verse 10 is where I ought to place myself, and I position myself on God's Word, and I wouldn't compromise it for anyone. And may the Lord bless us, protect us, keep us, and let's just watch the world get fearful around us and buy that gas on Tuesday morning. Uh, and I don't know, I don't know where it's going to be, but with a 10% drop in crude, you should see it at the pump very soon. The Lord's so kind, so good, so faithful, so wonderful, and He's given us a Bible that helps us think through a number of things. He tells us what we ought to be afraid of. And America, if she had any sense, would be forgetting the coronavirus and begging God to have mercy on this nation and repenting because He is coming in vengeance. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word.